Welcome to the Family on the Tom Bernard Podcast with Hackmaster Raftoy Bashel MD. Alex Brant Rasmussen. Co-host Catherine Brandt. And Andy Brant Bernard. Steve Brusati will join us in a couple of minutes. Timmy Lammers will jump on with us. And then Kristen Burt uh, right up at the top of the hour. It's, it's going to work. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Work. We will be right back. Kick things off with Steve and Tim and then Kristen. It's coming up next. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant tommy do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue you mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. At... Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this is Brian Zepp. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. Back, ladies and gentlemen, Timmy Lammers with us. Kristen Burt will join us at the top of the hour. Steve Brusati, his book is called The Rise and Reign of the Mammals, A New History from the Shadow of the Dinosaurs to Us. Steve, how you doing? Thanks a lot for having me, for chatting uh, mammals and dinosaurs uh, today. It's going to be a lot of fun, and so I'm doing good. Okay, do you mind if we guess where you are right now? Because I want to guess where you are right now. All right. You can guess where I am, and you could also guess where I'm from based on my accent, maybe. And I'll give you a clue. It's not too far away. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds pretty no. Midwestern I would have said Ohio. Ooh. Wisconsin. I say well, Wisconsin. 
Well, I'm from Illinois originally. Dang. Illinois. Oh, damn. We're right. only halfway yeah. a little bit. Well, right it's direction. a border state to Illinois. It so. is. <laughs> <laughs> we were close. Ohio. Come on. <laughs> he goes, Ohio. Yeah, come I on. Know if I've even ever talked to someone from Ohio before. Although, Steve, I have a meeting uh, this afternoon with a guy from Cleveland, so I can't say too much bad about Ohio. <laughs> no, well, there you go. We'll, we'll, we'll stop. We don't want to disrespect, you know, LeBron and so on, you know. Exactly. No problem. No problem. Okay, now here's my guess as to where you are right now. You're on the first tee at Turnberry. <laughs> he starts laughing. I wish I was out on one of our great golf courses here. Oh, my God, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I will tell you the family. Uh, Catherine, uh, my wife, is here, our son Andy, our daughter Alex, our, our family friend Ralph, and uh, we've been to... We've been to uh, Turnberry a few times, and it is a dream come to. Well, I, I'd be honest with you, Steve. Scotland is one of my favorite places on earth. What a great place. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I've, I've been living here about 10 years now. Uh, so I'm joining you from Edinburgh, by the way, the capital of Scotland. Mm. Um, but I've been here about 10 years. Um, I moved here from the U.S. to take up a job at the university. So I'm a professor here at the university. And it's been it's been wonderful. It's been a a really welcoming city for us. It's such an old city. I mean, it's over a thousand years old, this city, and the culture's great. As you say, the golf is great. My father-in-law is golfing all the time, constantly, every there. day. <laughs> retirement. There's and, a shock. Uh, and I wish it was, yeah. Is so, it true that you can't get the real iron brew anymore? Oh, that well, that is kind of true. That's a, you know, that's a good question. Because in the U.S., I think iron brew is banned or hasn't been. This is a Scottish drink. It's so basically it's unheard of over here, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a Scottish drink. It's a soft drink, um, and uh, it's it's like bright orange in color, like toxic radioactive mm-hmm. orange nice. in color. And it's the national drink here. Everybody loves it. Um, and it, it it used to be um, like the classic formula had so much sugar. Full sugar, a few yeah. Years ago, yeah, some new law came by and. They said they couldn't have that much sugar anymore, so they made a new recipe. Uh, but you can still find the old recipe. It's, it's just labeled under something like Iron Brew Classic or Iron oh, Brew okay. Original or something like that. So if you come to Scotland, you can still find Iron Brew. I prefer, of course, to, uh, to drink the whiskey. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, you know. On Amazon, you can get it for a six-pack for thirteen fifty. Oh, that's not bad, actually. That's not bad at all. Uh, Steve, I just got a text message from a listener. This is a listener, not me. But I should tell you on this show that the listeners are all wiseacres. Okay, so you ready? <laughs> His question for you is: Since you teach in Scotland, do you allow your students to drink while they're in class? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh so appropriate. Yeah, that would be Ireland, not Scotland, well, right? Scotland's not too far behind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do teach at the University of Edinburgh. I teach a lot of courses on paleontology. Love so, it. You know, that's why I'm here talking about the a new book on mammals that I have out and the Jurassic World some of the stuff. And so I teach, you know, I do teach paleontology courses. We do have great students, uh, you know, whether I, I, I don't allow them to drink, if somebody were to uh, be sipping something, I don't think I'd step in. <laughs> uh, yes, I understand you know, that. It's a real problem. Boy, <laughs> this is quite the, uh, before we get started, because I want to talk, Andy is very excited to have you on, Steve, I will tell you that. Uh, awesome. New from the author, the yeah. acclaimed bestseller, The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, The Washington Post says of Steve Brusati, you ready? A masterpiece of science writing. What do you think of that? Well, I was very pleased to, uh, <laughs> to read that. Of course, that's so 2018. That's about the dinosaur book. So now well, I've yeah. gone on to mammals. I've written a new book on mammals. It's a follow-up called The Rise and Reign of the Mammals. I just hope that people say, you know, a fraction of the nice things you know, about this new book. 
Yeah, I understand absolutely. So where do we start, Steve? It's such a, a fascinating subject. And I said our son Andy is all excited to be talking dinosaurs today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, we can start with dinosaurs um, because I study dinosaurs too. That's what I've actually spent most of my career studying. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those lucky people that gets to dig up dinosaur bones for my job. And it's taken me all over the world to some amazing places, you know, to China, to Brazil, across Europe. And I love dinosaurs. And of course, it was the death of the dinosaurs that paved the way for mammals to take over, and that's ultimately where we came from. But I think what uh, a lot of um, times isn't conveyed very well, whether it's in science classes or whether it's in you know, the, the, the media or whatever, in museum exhibits, is that mammals and dinosaurs go back to the same time. They have the same origin story. They go back 225, 230 million years ago, back to the Triassic period, when there was the supercontinent of Pangaea. And then, of course, they went their separate ways. Dinosaurs were destined for grandeur, and some of them became bigger than Boeing 737 airplanes. The mammals had to stay in the shadows. They had to remain small. But in order to survive underfoot of the dinosaurs, this is why the mammals developed so many amazing things. Uh, things like hair and milk to feed their babies and big brains and high sure. intelligence and so on. That's a great story. So that's that's magnificent because I think a lot of people think there were no people when there were dinosaurs around. They get doesn't Hollywood kind of give you that impression that the dinosaurs died off and then people came around, but that's not what happened. Yeah, I mean, certainly people came later, but other mammals were there with the dinosaurs. So if you were back yeah. in the Jurassic period or the Cretaceous period, if you were there you know, watching a T-Rex, let's say, from a safe distance, Uh, there would be a lot of mammals around. We would have had ancestors at that time. Mm -hmm. They were small. They would have been scurrying around. They would have been digging into burrows. They would have been hiding. They may have even been sleeping during the day because they were mostly nocturnal, all to avoid the dinosaurs. But they were there. They were an important part of that world. And from those ancestors came us because those ancestors had what it what it took when that asteroid came down, six-mile-wide asteroid, you know, traveling faster than a speeding bullet, smashed into the Earth with more than a billion uh, nuclear bombs worth of energy. I mean, that changed everything when that happened. And the dinosaurs couldn't cope, but some of our mammal ancestors could because they were small and they were adaptable and they grew fast and they could eat lots of foods. And so I just think it's an amazing thing to think about that we had an ancestor that stared down that asteroid 66 millions of years years ago and that's why we're here that is amazing i'm just reading some of the things you put down here it's it's pretty fascinating armadillos the size of a car that'd be a little frightening megafauna everywhere back then the megafauna you got it yeah there used to be so many mammals that were just sublime superb spectacular whatever uh, whatever adjective hyperbole you want to use and uh, these were things that all evolved after the dinosaurs. So when the dinosaurs disappeared, those surviving mammals had just abundant opportunity. Imagine the world was mostly empty. T-Rex is gone. Triceratops is gone. So these mammals, they went from being really small, like the size of mice and rats, all of a sudden, very quickly, they grew into things the size of pigs, the size of cows. And then over time, you got even bigger things like woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, and those armadillos the size of Volkswagen. That is humble. And by the way, Timmy Lammers, you're more than welcome to ask any questions. And Andy, I just want to turn it over to you because I can see in your, I see your, your brain not, spinning over there. I'm not prepared. Well, I, apparently you are prepared because he knew exactly what you were talking about, and I didn't. So there you go. Well, the, okay, I, I actually have a question, Steve. Well, first of all, did you see Jurassic World Dominion? 
Um, and what I liked about the film was how it was, some of it anyway, was set in, there was actually snow around. I mean, generally the, the setting is much different, but now we're talking the mountains and snow. And it's like, people really don't imagine dinosaurs in that sort of uh, climate, no. which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so did you see the film and, and is it true? I mean, they did they exist in all sorts of climates? I would imagine so. Did I see the film? Yes, I've seen the film many times because I actually worked on the film. So I oh was uh, the, That's the cool. paleontology consultant on the film. So I've worked on it for the last few years with uh, the director, Colin Trevorrow, and the artist creating the dinosaurs and so on. So I know the film very well. In fact, I'm just back from Los Angeles. I was at the film premiere. Uh, I was spending time with the uh, with the stars and with the people who made the film. And, and so I'm very pleased with how the film turned out. Uh, there's a lot of new dinosaurs in the film, some really cool dinosaurs, some enormous, ferocious new dinosaurs. We even have some dinosaurs with feathers. And you mentioned that scene of the dinosaurs in the snow. Uh, there's this new character. It's called Pyroraptor. It's a cousin of Velociraptor. Uh, but you'll see it all decked out in feathers. It even has wings on its arms. This is what these dinosaurs really looked like. And, and it's in a scene where it is cold, it is snowy, uh, it's, it's walking and kind of running around and chasing people on the ice, even diving into the water. It's an image that seems wrong, really. You think of dinosaurs, you think of jungles, you think of the tropics, you think of, um, you know, these depths of Earth history when the world was so much warmer and wetter and so on. But in reality, dinosaurs lived everywhere around the world. There were even dinosaurs that lived in Alaska. There were dinosaurs that lived in Antarctica. These dinosaurs living in Alaska, they were living above the Arctic Circle. So they were living in places where it was dark, where it was cold. So yes, there would have been dinosaurs that would have seen snow, that would have seen ice, that would have had to live in the depths of maybe not something approaching a Minnesota winter because it, <laughs> the earth was warmer back then. But still, these dinosaurs would have had to deal with the cold. Well, you know, it's interesting. One time, I think my sons and I, I mean, obviously all huge fans of the what kid doesn't love dinosaurs, put it that way. But uh, I do believe that we looked up what sort of dinosaur might have lived in what we now call Minnesota. And I believe it might've been the Stegosaurus, but in Illinois, where you're from, or Scotland, where you are now, what sort of dinosaurs existed there? In Illinois, uh, nobody's ever found a single dinosaur bone or single Ooh. dinosaur tooth. And it's one of my the dreams that I hold on to, um, that one day I'll be the first person to find one. Uh, and it's really, it's just dumb luck. We just don't have the right kind of rocks in Illinois that, that were formed during the time of the dinosaurs. There's just a few slivers of rocks in the right age because you find fossils inside the rocks. And in order to get dinosaur bones, you have to find them in, in, in the rocks. So um, we don't have anything in Illinois, but we do know Illinois was, was dry land during much of the time of dinosaurs. So there would have been things like tyrannosaurs and horned dinosaurs and long-necked dinosaurs living in Illinois, almost certainly. The same is true of Minnesota. And I'm not actually sure off the top of my head if any dinosaur bones have been found in Minnesota. Um, a lot of the rocks in Minnesota are very old. Uh, and that's true. A lot of those rocks extend into Canada as well. And they are ancient. Some of these rocks are billions of years old. But maybe somebody has found a dinosaur in Minnesota. People have found dinosaur bones in places like Missouri, you know, places you might not think. Um, but by and large, in Minnesota, in Illinois, in, in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, the Great Plains, there would have been 
tyrannosaurs, horned dinosaurs, long-necked dinosaurs, stegosaurs, all the classic dinosaurs would have been there. In Scotland, we also have dinosaurs, and we have good fossils. Uh, and I go out with my students and my team to find these fossils every year. And there's one place in particular, a beautiful place, one of the most enchanting places in the world, where you can find fossils of dinosaurs in Scotland. And that's the Isle of Skye, this gorgeous island off the, the West Coast. I'm not sure if you guys have been there, but... Uh, it's a wonderful place. They film a lot of movies out there because the scenery is so dramatic. There's a great whiskey distillery, the Talisker Whiskey Distillery there, and it's a very popular place for tourists. And you can find real Jurassic Age dinosaur bones, 170 million years old, and you can find mammal fossils too. And I talk about some of the mammals that have been found in Scotland in the Jurassic uh, in, in the Rise and Reign of the Mammals in, in the new book. Okay, one more question. I can turn it back to Tom. But is Jeff Goldblum as damn funny as he seems? Because I love the guy. <laughs> he is very funny. Um, I, I I was you know privileged to, to meet him in London because there was some Jurassic World events in London too, uh, and and I met him a couple of times, had a couple of chats with him. I was there with my wife, so she got to meet him. He was there with his wife. Uh, so we had a nice long chat at the, the after the screening of the film. Then the next morning we did some some press events and it was really surreal for me to be talking to these media people, these journalists alongside the actors. It was just crazy for a, you know, a scientist to be doing this. So I, you know, one of those once in a lifetime, just super bizarre, surreal moments, but, but he was there and, uh, and he was very chatty with us. Um, he seemed very nice. Uh, and he was very, 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 very funny. You know, in, in the movie, he has a lot of the best lines. He has a lot of good one-liners as he always does. And in real life, I found that he had a similar sense of humor, uh, you know, as the characters that he often plays. So I, I will remember meeting him uh, for a long time. I'll, re I'll, I'll treasure the selfie uh, <laughs> that I took with him. And uh, it was just that's one of the perks of doing things like working on a film. You just get to cross paths with some amazingly talented people. You know how lucky we are that you two happened to be on together? We didn't even know it. And the first thing he asked you was, hey, have you seen the movie? And you went, mm -hmm. yeah, I was part of the movie. I, I love that. It was a great response I had in my pocket. I should have done my homework, Steve. I apologize. But it, is, it is a wonderful coincidence, though. I have to it it is. funny, isn't it? And I, I know I sounded like a complete egomaniac. No. But Don't I gotta, you know I gotta who I am? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. Uh, that, that was a great combo there. Tim happened to be on the same time as Steve, and that was, that was a great conversation. But uh, I want to thank you, Steve, because I, I just received another text message from Melissa that said, oh, I should mention to you, Steve, that I've been on the morning show in town here for 37 years, been doing a morning show oh, for wow. 37 years. So apparently I'm the only dinosaur in Minnesota. Oh. So thanks for that, Steve. <laughs> I really appreciate it. No comment there. One other local thing I should throw out: Chris pa uh, Chris Pratt, born I believe in Virginia, Minnesota. So uh, we oh, can claim right? him too. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, he was you know involved. Yeah. He, he didn't come to London for any of the the premiere stuff here because his, his wife just had a baby. Oh. But he was in Los Angeles, you know, just very briefly. He didn't do very much, but I did get to meet him on the set when I visited the set. Because a lot of it was filmed actually near London, and and he was filming a scene with Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Omar C. It's a scene where there's this illicit dinosaur market in Malta, and they actually filmed this, you know, on set mm. in the yeah. UK. And so Christine. Colin Trevor 
he called me over before they started to film. He said, let me introduce you to, to Chris and Bryce and Omar. And I said, they're about to film. You know, these aren't actors supposed to be like in the zone. They don't want to talk to me. <laughs> no, no, no. We want to talk dinosaurs. So we had a little bit of small talk about dinosaurs. This was in the heart of the pandemic. You know, they had really strict rules on set. So we did some elbow bumps and stuff. And, uh, and you know, I found Chris Pratt to be very nice, very approachable. And then they all went off and filmed their scene, <laughs> which is wild. God, I just think this is so amazing. Again, uh, our, our very special guest, Steve Brusati, is with us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and let me say, i got to read this part again because it's very cool. The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaur is a masterpiece of science writing, according to the Washington. So we, Steve is not only a good guy, he's a masterpiece. That's all I'm saying. Or he writes masterpieces. <laughs> not every day you meet one. Paleontology advisor to June 2022 20, uh, film Jurassic World Dominion, a sweeping and re- uh, revelatory history of mammals, illuminating the lost story of the extraordinary family tree that led to us. So, so Steve, the renderings that we have now, are, are the renderings of all these dinosaurs pretty accurate in their appearance? Yes. So... There's, if you look at dinosaurs on the big screen or dinosaurs on television, there's a whole range of uh, quality, let's say, of the reconstruction. You know, mm-hmm. films like right. Jurassic World right. have big budgets, um, and, and, and so they do things really, really well. Uh, one of the interesting things about Jurassic World, though, is that a lot of those dinosaurs are animatronics and they're puppets, and then oh. there's some CGI. So it's all three of those things that go together. So that's why sometimes um, maybe they don't look the same as the dinosaurs on some of these um, nature documentary type shows, which are purely CGI. And there's some very good shows like that. There's one called Prehistoric Planet that just came out on, on Apple TV, and I did some consulting for that. And that's just beautiful. The quality of the dinosaurs is amazing. And then, of course, you run down the gamut of kind of the lowest budget stuff. And low budget CGI dinosaurs often don't look very good. <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, we, we, we've learned so much from fossils recently that there's quite a bit we can actually tell about what these dinosaurs were really like, about how big they were, about how they moved, about what they ate, and other aspects of their behavior. So we can use that information to make these television and movie dinosaurs realistic. And that's really a big part of my job when it comes to consulting on, on films like Jurassic World. That is terrific. Alex, you were waving your arms over no, there. No, he just said Prehistoric Planet, and I just talked about that last mm-hmm. week for like a full hour. Yeah, yep. he said how great it was. <laughs> yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My children and I and my husband have been watching that, and it's amazing. We have yep, been that's loving it. standard. Yeah, and I'm glad you think that. It, that was in development for about a decade. You know, oh, my I started gosh. It's seriously. I on that over like a decade ago. So it's great to see that and have it, you know, get, get such a high profile right around the time of Jurassic World, too. Steve, ballpark, when did people come to the understanding there had been animals that no longer existed on this planet before we got... How far back did we even know there were dinosaurs on the planet? That's a great question. Um, and you. And it's pretty recent. So, of course, humans have been encountering fossil bones for millennia. I mean, there are Native American... Um, oral legends that have to do with finding giant bones in places where we now know there are dinosaur or mammal megafauna bones. Uh, There are um, indigenous people in South America that had stories about finding giant bones. There are ancient Greeks did this, uh, tribes in Central Asia. So people have been noticing fossils for a long time, but it was only in the late 1700s, early 1800s, that a more professional class of scientists and naturalists in the West, you know, mostly in Europe at that time, also a little bit in the new, you know, country of, of the United States, that 
folks like that started to interpret these old bones as things that were once alive, now extinct, uh, that they were ancient species of giant reptiles in some cases, in other cases, ancient species of giant mammals, including things like mammoths and so on that are similar to today's species, but not quite the same. And believe it or not, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a major character oh. in that whole debate. You would think he would have had enough on his plate in the, yeah. the, the late 1700s. I mean, he, you know, he had written the Declaration of Independence. He was uh, trying to, you know, raise, or at least he was producing two families. Oh my goodness, it's Jefferson. And uh, of course he was, you know, trying to be a leader in this tumultuous time in, during the early stages of, of our country. And of course, and he ran for president after George Washington's uh, two terms. And, you know, he ran, Jefferson ran against John Adams and John Adams won the election and Jefferson became vice president. It was a just complete, like, I mean, things are polarized now back then from what i understand oh my goodness like mm -hmm. wow that election and so what does yeah. jefferson do he becomes vice president to his rival and then less than a week after he's inaugurated as a vice president jefferson's in philadelphia standing in front of this learned society reading out a scientific research paper on these giant petrified bones from virginia which he thought belonged to a lion which he oh. later figured out belonged to a, a sloth that stood more than 10 feet tall a megafauna mammal and you know just imagine that i mean imagine our elected officials today doing scientific research it's crazy so you know so and then jefferson became embroiled in this debate why are the there are these giant bones jefferson could not accept that species ever went extinct that went against his idiosyncratic oh, sure. religious views whereas other people said no no these things must be extinct so jefferson when he became president he bought all of, you know, the Louisiana purchased all that land out west from the French. And what did he do? He ordered Lewis and Clark to go out and find him a living giant ground sloth and a living mammoth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, show me one. <laughs> and of course, they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. So Jefferson had to then admit uh, that these species really were once alive and they had gone extinct. And so by the 1820s, then people knew that there were these giant beasts that once lived and now are no more. Well, to be fair to him, the uh, concept of spontaneous generation was still a thing during his time. So yes, <laughs> the, the idea of something appearing out of nothing is was scientific back then. Like, I think they yeah. said that if you yeah. took a pile of clothes and put old food on it, it would generate rats. Not that rats would come to it. Rats would come out of it. Really? Yep. Like alchemy. Oh, that's... So the idea of something going extinct was impossible if you can just generate more. A little magical thinking back then. It was pretty magical, yeah. yeah. Indeed. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I, th <laughs> I, I, find, I find spontaneous generation very interesting because it just seems so dumb to us. But for, the long, for centuries, people were like, no, this is how it is. You put a rotten piece of meat somewhere, it'll make flies. That's how it goes. <laughs> really? Yep. Yep. Well, yep. in a way... <laughs> Well, it was, it was actually, it was discredited because someone put a rotten piece of meat in an airtight jar, and it didn't generate flies. Yeah, it only, flies only appeared if the jar wasn't airtight, so uh, he said, ah, flies must be getting to it, not coming out of it. Right. Well, that would be good. But they That's can lay larvae and then make a fly. Yeah, well, we didn't have microscopes, really, so that also didn't help. Can you imagine being one of the first people that did find these darn dinosaur bones or... 
evidence there were dinosaurs, trying to convince everyone. You must have been beaten to a pulp trying to convince everyone that there were dinosaurs before we got here. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. Imagine finding something and kind of realizing that this is a bone. It's kind of similar to maybe a bone of an animal that, you know, I've seen and trying to convince others. And actually, I tell in in The Rise and Reign of the Mammals, um, in in the new book, I have a chapter nine is the Ice Age chapter. So you got to wait a little bit to get to the great mammals, uh, the mammoths and saber tooth and so on. But in that chapter, I open with the story of, of the people who were actually the first people in the Americas to find a fossil mammal and identify it correctly and then have those impressions recorded in writing. Believe it or not, those people were slaves. They were slaves in South Carolina. They were digging in a swamp. Yep. And they found these objects. Each one of these objects was about the size of a brick. And on one side, there was the shiny surface with a a corrugated appearance, like a a set of parallel ridges. To us, it might look like the sole of a tennis shoe or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the slaves, they knew exactly what it was. They realized that these things were teeth and that they were the teeth of an elephant, some type of elephant, because they had seen elephants and known elephants back in Africa before they were kidnapped and brought over. And so, of course, there's no elephants in the Americas today. So, you know, they told their masters and others, these things are elephants. They were met with disbelief but before long people started to find complete skeletons of these things with tusks and so on and it became obvious they were elephants but put yourself back in that world the world that you know really is quite distant but it must have been incredible to come across fossils like that and to try to reason out what they were god what a great what a great you must love your life and your work it's a lot of fun. I'm sure you can tell from my you know, effervescent <laughs> rambling here. But um, No rambling. It's, it's fascinating. It's an awesome thing to have a job where I dig up dinosaur bones, mammal bones, you know, for yep. my job where I get to teach, uh, you know, all these subjects at the university where I get to do things like write books and consult on films. It really is a, you know, a blessing for me to be able to, to do this. And, you know, I try not to take it for granted. I try to treasure these different opportunities that arise. And ultimately, I just like doing something I'm passionate about. I got into this stuff when I was a teenager, just entering high school. I just became enthralled with fossils and dinosaurs and prehistory. And so to be able to do this as a career is, is really, really, really neat. It is. No, but does Steve, do you, do you have any children? Yeah, I have a two-year-old, a little boy, Anthony. And so the, the new book I dedicated to him, you know, to my favorite little mammal. <laughs> and, uh, and I wrote <laughs> during lockdowns when he was very young. He was born just a little bit before the pandemic mm. started. So the book is special in that way because I'm yes. writing about mammals. I have my own, you know, young little mammal who's he's developing his teeth. He's drinking milk. He's growing his hair. All the things that make mammals mammals right in front of my eyes. And it was really just a, a very touching time. You're now, Steve. Be- Steve, I just quick question. I mentioned before, kids. It seems like so many kids are obsessed with dinosaurs. Right. A, I'm oh, wondering yeah. what. What it, why is that? What, where's the fascination? And B, what are you going to do if your son says, I'm not interested in dinosaurs? Mm. Oh, well, I, first of all, I'm not, I'm not trying to push him into dinosaurs. He has a lot of dinosaur stuff, a lot of dinosaur sure. clothes, a lot of dinosaur toys that other people have bought him because they say, your dad's you know, the dinosaur guy. But I'm trying not to push it. You know, he'll, I, I don't want to put pressure on him. And if he ends up not liking dinosaurs, that's okay. It, it would be, and I'm not going to get into it because it's an Illinois, Minnesota thing, a Chicago Twin Cities thing. But there's, if, if, if he was not to be a fan of certain professional sports teams, 
that I like that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so the White Sox and the Bears are at the top of the list. Otherwise, the kid yeah, has to get out. White Sox and Bears. Bears I mean, before dinosaurs. So My goodness, the way the you teams know, are playing and the White Sox are awful. I, but but and I won't I won't get into that because you'll get a different side of me, not the the excuses. <laughs> you'll get the angry whiskey side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whiskey side, exactly. You know, though, as far as the fascination, though, again, yeah. I don't think any kid needs to be pushed into liking guys. Oh, God, no, no. Again, it's a no. natural fascination, and I'm just wondering it why is. why that is, but it's it's really cool. Well, I just, yeah, well, I don't know. You might have some ideas, too, but yeah, go ahead. I just bought our grandson turned four yesterday, and I bought him a shirt with dinosaurs surfing. And oh. in the restaurant, he took off his shirt and put that shirt on. He wanted to wear it. Oh, yes. Oh, and he made me wash it last night because he got ice cream on it, and he's wearing it again today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, how long will it be? How long will it be until it's dry? On too, I think. Well, I have a six, seven-month-old, um, and I can say that from the age of probably three, he's Mom's. always been into animals. Yeah. And I think a lot of people especially very young people, just like animals, and dinosaurs are basically another type of animal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like one of the first things I ever laughed at was a cat. Mm-hmm. The first thing he ever laughed at was a dog. I think it's just ingrained in humanity to be fascinated with animals, especially unusual ones. Yeah, I think so. I agree, yeah, agree that with sense. that. And I think the thing about dinosaurs is they're so unusual. You know, they're they, I think unusual. they're more fantastic than any dragon or sea monster or unicorn or whatever, you know, humans sure. have invented in myths and in legends. But these things were real and we can find their bones and you can go to a museum, you can see their bones, you can stand underneath the skeletons and gawk at these things and be awed by them. And also they'll be comforted by the fact that they're not alive anymore. You don't have to be scared of them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all part of the fascination with dinosaurs. That and dinosaurs have a great, you know, PR strategy. They sure do. They have a great brand name by this point. And Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park and Jurassic World are certainly a large part of that. You're a mate. Steve, friends for life, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no question about it. I, uh, one thing, I w- as, a, as a good friend of yours now, I'd say stay in Scotland for a while because politics in America right now is psychotic. <laughs> so It is. I watch, you know, things going on back home. It's not too much different. You know, I, I'm, I'm mm. not impressed. It's tough here, though. A lot of the same problems yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's inflation, whether it's political polarization, all these things are happening here. So, you know what? But I am very happy in Scotland. It's a great place to live. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, University of Edinburgh, any young people listen, you want to study dinosaurs, you want to dig up dinosaurs, think about us. we got a great paleontology program over here. And you have a great uh, comedy show every year, the Edinburgh Festival. The comedy mm-hmm. festival is phenomenal. Yep. It is awesome. No yeah, every August, one of the, it's the biggest arts festival in the world. The whole city is taken over by comedians and by musicians and by actors. Yep circus troops and all kinds of things and it's it's a lot of fun and that's actually where i first met colin trevor the director of jurassic world when he got in touch with me because oh. uh, he read my dinosaur book and he said i won't let's meet up and i'm going to come to edinburgh to see the fringe with my family let's meet up there and so we met up and it's you know <laughs> so that fringe means a lot to me. steve you got to come back once in a while what we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come to chicago you come here it depends on the twins and the white Sox, the bears and the vikings you know Yep, Blackhawks in the wild. Black, Blackhawks in the wild, exactly. Yeah. The wild are in a much better position now than the Blackhawks. Well, you got the bulls, though. 
You had Michael Jordan for all those years. It's not fair. Oh, no, we were no, it was not fair. We we're, were very, 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 very lucky in that. But the Twins had a you know a nice run in the Kirby Puckett, Ken Herbeck, you know Jack Morris years. So well, there's no doubt about it. Jordan height, but. No doubt about it. Steve, you got to come back. I, we love, I'm telling you, my family's got these big smiles on their face because they <laughs> love this converse, conversation so much. We did. You were a terrific guest. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being flexible with the time zone difference here and everything. And Not a problem. Happy to come back. Love talking dinosaurs and mammals and, uh, you know, Chicago sports and Scotland and whatever. So We'll be reading. You, we'll, you reach out. We'll reach out. We'll get back together, Steve. Thank you, sir. Thank you, all Steve. Right. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate all the good questions, and have a good uh, rest of the day. You too. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Brasati. It's B-R-U-S-A-T-T-E. And remember, a genius. That's what it says <laughs> right here. Okay, it says, a masterpiece of science writing mm-hmm. from the Washington Post. What a nice man. We'll take a break. Be right back. Timmy Lammers, I believe Kristen Bird's going to join us also. She's oh, ready. Cool. Yeah. Yes, yes. She'll be right back with Timmy Lammers right after this. Dan Chesky's here from Dan Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dan Southside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like Suburban Manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Do, 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 do. Make it. Steve Brusati is his name. What a great guest he was. See, I, I he find was that great. stuff fascinating. Can you, 
Can you imagine being the first person to find a dinosaur bone in Missouri, and you're going around going, this is a dinosaur, and they're going, you're, yeah, oh, I can't right. even imagine what they thought it would be. Well, yeah. back then, they just thought it was like giants, you know. Oh, it was just giants? Giant people, that sort of I thing. I just started, well, last people. night, I was dialing around trying to find something I wanted to watch, and there was a Claire Danes thing on Apple TV, and it's about her, Look, uh, she was... A naturalist, as they used to call it. Naturalist, sure. Yeah. And she, uh, uh, the whole story is about that there's some sort of, you know, water monster that has shown up in. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it is Scotland, maybe. Um, it's super, super political, though. I mean, it's oh. just like everything have, everything you can tell that Claire Danes is like, I'm not doing it unless I get all my agendas on here. Mm. Every single one has to be on. It was God. just, like, it's just so boring because of that. It would be a good story. And the um, the scenery is really cool. It's about these salt marshes. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's and it called? I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> we could tune right in. Great. Oh, Tim, Tim Lammers might know. Yeah, Tim might know. Yeah, oh, no, I was going to say, it would have been cool to ask Steve about Nessie. His oh, thoughts yeah. about Nessie. Yeah. Well, we'll get him back next on time. to talk yeah, about Yeah, he lives time. in the land of Nessie. Oh, I'd love and that's, to that's what this, this That's what this show is about, is kind of like a Loch Ness monster reappears yeah. and how and how... You know, that they had all these weird fossils all over the place up there. Right. So why why well, couldn't there be one that still was living in some sort of microclimate someplace yeah. that nobody knew about? Well, and I guess in the sort of way I asked about Nessie, because I asked about what sorts of dinosaurs were in Scotland. Which, you know, again, it's it to me, that's one interesting thing that stuck out about Jurassic World Dominion was the fact that, wow, this is interesting. They got... You know, a winter climate as part of the setting, which honestly I can't recall seeing before mm-hmm. in a dinosaur movie. So, well, yeah, because yeah. they're reptiles. You wouldn't think that they could survive in the cold. Uh, dinosaurs were not cold-blooded. They weren't. Nope. There, what? Many things about dinosaurs have changed in the Pretty last. Pretty much everything. Like, Jurassic Park. Yes. Truly, the first Here Jurassic Park got go. everything. Yeah, I haven't well, paid like, attention to dinosaurs since you were little, and no, you were I into them. Really. So it's I like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park, like the original one, are actually Utah Raptors. Oh, they're not Velociraptors. Velociraptors are smaller and have feathers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a lot of dinosaurs had feather had feathers. And I will say though, the whole thing with kids and dinosaurs must have took uh, huge leaps and bounds the interest level with jurassic park i mm-hmm. think that really no, did oh, sure. kick it off it? because really think no. about it before then you did have you know the old ray harryhausen movies or you know the stop motion stuff and barney you had land of the lost on tv but there really wasn't a lot of that that's sort of not true in the least i watched every episode of the flintstones oh yeah there burgers exactly oh yeah they used yeah yeah, they, yeah, he had the giant, whatever the dinosaur was that would lift boulders. Yep. Yeah. Fred and Barney. My favorite Fred and Barney, though, was the commercial with them two smoking cigarettes. Winston's. Hawkins. They were smoking Winston's. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. oh, yeah, during the TV show. Dear God. They're doing commercial for Winston cigarettes. Bonnie, have you tried your Winston? <laughs> yeah, Ralph, it's fabulous. Or, well, it wasn't Ralph. <laughs> that was... <laughs> that was uh, um, what the spaceship Kristen, is taken. Wow. Kristen Bird spaceship just Somebody landed. Somebody got I think. beamed up. Oh my God, don't they, Bonnie? Yeah. 
I hate to see them work so hard. Yeah, me too. Um, let's go around back where we can't see them. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. <laughs> Wow. Is that just that's crappy audio? No, that's uh, her mowing the lawn. <laughs> this goes on for quite a while. By the way, so. <laughs> really? Uh, is so it's another 30 seconds. Oh, I want to hear the another 30 no. seconds. Well, you can hear the jingle at the end, I suppose. Oh, you got to hear the Winston. Tastes good. Like a cigarette should. Like a cigarette should. I remember him. Wow. I never missed the Flintstones because I, I looked a lot like Fred. Yabba dabba do. <laughs> Fred and I looked a lot alike, so I wanted to watch every show. Well, that was the one time you ever dressed up for Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah Fred. Well, one I got time. him to. He was Haas one time. Oh. It was Haas from Bonanza. Yeah, That's Haas right. from Bonanza. He was Fred Flintstone, Fred Flintstone once. I think that might have been it. Yeah. yeah. That might have been it. Mm-hmm. So, you Kristen, you smoke Winston's, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Chris, Kristen on with Timmy Lambert. Virginia Slims, if anything. By the way, our, <laughs> delicate. The last time you guys were on together, our listeners loved having Timmy Lammers and Kristen Bird on together, so we could schmooze about entertainment. They did. They loved you guys being on together. Well, I'm so I, flattered. That's great. I, I told Tom. Uh, I said there's another entertainment reporter that checks in with him once in a while in KQ, named Brad Blanks. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Brad, but. I said that you and I, Kristen and Brad, should uh, defect from Tommy. Leave him in the dust. We'll start our own thing. Hey. Exactly. Start your own podcast. Hey. I'll be a dinosaur again. This is again. mutiny right on your own show. Sorry, Sorry Tom. Tom. Wow. Sorry, Tom. Wow. That's Typical. loyal to Tom. <laughs> Let me do air quotes. The family. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let me get this knife out of my back, and then we'll do another uh, segment. You know. Oh, yeah, I remember Tom Bernard way back when. You know, that dinosaur. Who? I don't know him. Oh, God, I'm going to get out of the way now. We're going to be. So we were talking a bit about, uh, what is it, Jurassic World Dominion is the new one, right? Yep. Is that out right now? Yeah, it's a number one at the box office. That's why there's so many kids at the movie theater. Number one at the box office. I see, okay. Yep. Well, I will say, I mean, yeah, I mean, the box office is back. There's no question with uh, Top Gun Maverick and now this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that it actually in the the three day weekend frame, I believe it made more than Top Gun. The Top Gun's still going strong. I mean, it's 700 some million dollars right now. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if if Jurassic World has that sort of staying power, because now we have Lightyear coming up this weekend and then Mm. Elvis the week after that. So, yeah, so lots of big stuff. The summer movie season, I believe, Kristen, I'm sure you feel the same way. It is back. Finally, after a couple of years, it is back. And the theater owners are screaming at the top of their lungs, enjoy. Let's say, oh, let's put bet. it that way. Yeah. yeah. They must be. But, you know, the big question is, I mean, do we need those types of summer blockbuster movies in order for them to survive? Are we going to get more of those and less of the serious fare, the independent fare, the drama, all that sort of stuff? I mean, I think that's the big question in the long run. You know, um, whether they can sustain those smaller windows of time, um, you know, the January to March, that's a really slow time for movie theaters. 
uh, you know, there are just certain times that, at, you know, maybe when school gets back in session in September usually seems to be a dip. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm just wondering, is this the sort of movie that people want to see? And are, is Hollywood going to be as a way of reacting to this big box office, producing more of those kinds of movies? In my opinion, I have to be honest, like if I'm looking at Oscar Fair, something small, a drama, do I need to go out and honestly, yeah. I'm an entertainment reporter. So a lot of our entertainment is, is, is free, but let's just say I'm paying, you know, Los Angeles prices. Do I need to pay $20 or more to go see this small drama? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to pay $20 to see Jurassic Park or Tom Cruise on the big screen with all of the sound and the right. effects? And the- mm-hmm. To me, those are two different types of movies, especially when we have so much from you know, the comfort of our couch. Right. Uh, well, you know, and the other thing is that the release window for video or streaming is shrinking so much now. Uh, one of a, a movie I know Tom loves for a fact, as we talked about it in length, is uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Now, Great movie. That, that was only out a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and it's already available for premium video on demand, which is 20 bucks. But it's also uh, going to be like DVD, Blu-ray rental next week already. So it seems with that window shrinking, people might say, you know what, I, th- I think I'll, I'll wait. Although I will yeah. say that was a movie worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah, the scenery alone. Wait, wait a second. You said DVD and Blu-ray? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Well, who yeah, has a, those, who has a those DVD are still two mediums, believe it or not. But the, believe it or not, just like back in the day when those uh, vinyl um, areas were shrinking in department stores and the DVDs came about, right? And all of a sudden the vinyl was gone altogether at some point and then <laughs> CDs were gone. Um, but, yeah, you still do. You still can purchase these things. I don't get it. I mean, why would you buy a Disney Blu-ray for 25 bucks when you can just get disney plus and see all of it uh maybe four months worth do you get higher resolution costs. well that's true that's it true. is I higher resolution but like that. it's a drawing like that thing. or like a cgi kind of thing so it's like there's only so much resolution baked into cgi you know like if you're gonna watch frozen or whatever it's like right. it's, it's exported at a certain resolution it's not like a camera where the resolution is like theoretically infinite because it's not right. digitalized or it's not originally digitalized. So I don't know. I mean, I get wanting to see things on like the big, big screen, but I don't think you're really going to get a whole lot out of it that you couldn't get with a decent TV. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's true. No, Kristen, when you're uh, in your Oldsmobile listening to your eight track, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> What's an Oldsmobile? What's an eight track? I know neither exists anymore. Oldsmobile, what, like 2003 or something. Well, speaking of which, uh, Melissa and I watched the original Top Gun last night. Oh, you did? Just because it's on there for free, and we're like, oh, hey, everyone's talking about Top Gun. Might as well brush so up. What'd you think? It's all right. It's all right. See, Andy and I feel the same way about I don't think it aged terribly well. There was a lot of, like, really dumb, cheesy stuff in it. Yeah. Oh. Now, like, wait a second. It's an now, Andy, movie. did you and Melissa, uh, Alex, I don't know, you and Dan seen Top Gun Maverick yet. I know Dan Tom, has. I have not. Tom, you, you and Catherine were planning on it. Yeah, we saw right? it. She loved it. I thought it was very mediocre. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh-oh. But, but I don't Kristen, like Tom Kristen, Cruise I'll let yet. you yell at Tom. I know. What's going on? I never oh, liked that. I don't like I want to hear Cruise. your reasons. Why did you think it was only mediocre? <clears throat> okay, <sighs> one line set me off and I never recovered when they said, why do they call him Hangman? 
because he's always leaving, hanging out people to dry. Mm. I'm like, I gotta go home. Now, it, it, he got a bad taste in his mouth because there was a glitch in the beginning of the movie, and there was like a ten-minute nothing. There was nothing on the oh, screen so for ten minutes. Oh, so this is the truth. He was ready to go home. He's like, this is the reason why nobody goes that's, to movies anymore because insane. they can't, they can't do shit like that's this. Insane. Well, Catherine here, the truth tells. That's an insinuation that Tom's immature, and I'm I can't like, believe. Tom, you're a saint for living with this. You are a mature individual. You can look past that. No, I will tell you. Here's here's the problem I have with the movie. I don't play video games, and it was like watching a video game. I don't. I don't know. I thought it felt like you were really. I mean, I was impressed with the whole flying thing. Yeah, you were. I know. I really was. I was like, look at these crazy people. What are they doing up there? And while they weren't flying, part of the thrill too. Yeah, part of the thrill of knowing that this is not CGI. Yes, it's all real. There just adds. A little more tension to the whole thing, you know. Yep. No, I understand. It also, made me sad to see Val Kilmer. That makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to have that spirit of disbelief when you go to a movie like that. Like, you know, the fact that they stole an airplane. It's like, oh, you can just go <laughs> steal was, an airplane. Well, yeah. I mean, like I, in the original, he does the buzzing the tower thing. That was like his signature. In real life, if you did that, you would probably go to prison. I'm sure you would. <laughs> Taking a $50 million jet and flying dangerously close to the control oh, tower. Oh, yeah. Well, he gets in trouble were... in this one, too, doing oh. all kinds of stuff he's not supposed to be doing. What do they call well, that's why he never got nothing. past Captain. Yeah. Oh, there you go. He's happy he being a rogue pilot. Now, we're going to take a break in about 30 seconds. Timmy, you going to stay for a little a little bit of the second hour, or do you have to oh, go? Sh- uh, I, can, I can stick around for a little bit more, yeah. Well, Kit, Kristen, that's all right with you? Sounds good to me. All right, remember Oldsmobile eight track. That's all you got to remember. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen and an eight track. And Winston cigarettes. You've probably never seen an Oldsmobile for that matter. Oldsmobile, yeah, but no, not an eight track in A-track, person. No, I hated it so much listening to Led Zeppelin one on an eight track. It would fade out, change tracks, uh-huh. and then fade back in. <laughs> God, did I hate that! It was terrible. You can, I know too many, too much on that tape. Exactly. Well, the all reason right. I brought up Top Gun was because at the end they said that you can buy the. Uh, soundtrack on Columbia cassettes. So if you want to get, get that cassette, if you want to get that cassette tape, then just call this number. Is that Danger Zone? Is that on there? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm gonna rewind zone. it with my pencil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. God, I remember doing I that. I remember doing that all the time. Yeah. She rewound it with a yeah. pencil, and then you play it three times, and it turns into a mess of tape that you can't ever recover oh, from. Yeah, I loved it. Or it melts in the car because you left it out in the sun. Yeah, they were pretty horrible. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have Tim and Kristen come back, and we're gonna turn it over to you guys. We're gonna talk. Entertainment, movies, TV show, whatever you want to talk, we'll follow your lead. What do you think? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, we'll be right back in a couple of minutes.